Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, all right, all right. Hey, you can go ahead and have a seat. Yeah. Some of you are like, I already did it, buddy. Not waiting for you. All right. Now, normally we have some discussion time, but we're a little packed on time this morning. So uh, we're going to skip that. Uh, but that's what we normally do. Um, also want to let you know, I know some of you are like, hey, where's the lyrics? Like, what are we singing? What are, that's also on the church app. And so, uh, again, if you want to be able to uh, sing, it takes one minute to download, Access Church. Look that up. You'll have the words for the, we have worship at the end of the service. One other thing I want to just let you know about is uh, connection groups. That's our home groups. Great way to discuss the sermon, get to know people, just have a consistent time of prayer. We have another kind of six-week um, spring session kind of coming up. Uh, both the in-person meetings are at um, my wife and I, our house uh, in Marietta. And so there's information online. You can sign up. And so uh, we're off this next week, and then we start the week after. And so if, uh, if you, that's something you want to do, feel free to sign up. We're looking forward to that. When it comes to our needs, there's only a few things we need, right? To survive, what do you need? What do you need just to live? Air, yeah. Maybe I should have put you guys in discussion groups. <laughs> or you guys are a little bit exhausted from the Easter egg. I can tell you we're kind of recovering. Heart rate's coming down. Air. Water. And food. And coffee. Thank you. Yes, and coffee. Yeah. Which... There's some basic needs, right, uh, that are essential for survival. And I would say that that's, those are all physiological things, physiological needs. But we actually have greater needs, psychological, emotional, and even spiritual. And I would say that those needs that the Bible talks about, that God would say, the way I wired you, you have these needs. And it's really two that all of us in a great home would grow up with so that we have a solid foundation. And, we, and when these things lack, we're actually malnourished emotionally and spiritually and relationally, and that's love and hope. Love and hope. Humanity's based on that. You see that in areas where there is no hope, that there's chaos, right? You see that our behavior begins to deteriorate when there's no hope. Some of us grew up in environments like that. Uh, I lived all over California. I've lived in some areas where it lacks hope. It lacks financial hope. Uh, I lived in South Bakersfield, which was financially incredibly depressed at that time in the late 80s. And there wasn't a lot of hope. Why were people getting into gangs? Why were people doing drugs? Because when you lose hope, you lose life, right? And so you literally see people deteriorate relationally, psychologically, spiritually, and emotionally. And the same thing with love. Any of us that grew up in a home that lacked love, you could tell that it left, it left a gaping hole. Even if you kind of can put up a good front to people, you knew what was going on inside. And those of us that grew up in a home with amazing love, it really built a f- solid foundation. It, it met our needs spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. This is what I love about Easter. Easter is the full embodiment, the full embodiment of God's love through the cross and hope through the resurrection. This is why Easter is so important. It is a full embodiment of what we need emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Through the cross, 
which absolutely anchors God's love for you. No matter what you're going through, you feel disconnected. You feel like I'm not worthy to be loved. Uh, all these things that go through our heads, he beats the lies with the truth of the cross. The cross is the anchor for all of us. You take out the cross in society, you take out the ability to really define love. And it becomes selfish rather than selfless. And what he wants us to know is for you to love each other, you first have to know that I loved you and I show you how to love. And you need to let me love you so that you can love others well. When people lack love relationally, a lot of times they want to work on it. I said, no, no, work on your relationship with God and it'll automatically help in your relationship with others. That's our greatest need. But today what we celebrate is the empty tomb, the resurrection, which is so important. Remember last week we talked about the message of the cross, what Jesus said? You remember his words? It is what? Finished. He says, it is finished. The message of the cross is, it is finished. Fear of death is finished. Disconnection from God where you got to go to a, a priest who has to do sacrifices for you and animals pay the price for your sin. That is finished. It's a personal relationship. And rather than just being around God, now God is going to be in you, not just around you. It is finished being disconnected from God. Back to relationship, back to union. And so the message of the cross is it is finished, but the message of the empty tune is it is just the beginning now. It is just the beginning. Now the fun starts. Now, the resurrection, the resurrection was foreshadowed hundreds of years earlier. This should not be a surprise. But again, as human beings, we're always surprised, right? People foreshadow things all the time. I don't know if many of you remember the financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. What was amazing is if you were listening, people were foreshadowing of this is going to crumble. This is going to crumble. But nobody listened. Nah, it's never going to crumble. As human beings, we're not good at hearing truth that is foreshadowed. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible says, listen, there's a foreshadowing of not just what is today, but what is to come. Listen. It's not popular to listen to truth. But it will save you, not just financially, but spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. King David talked about it several hundred years before in Psalm 16. The prophet Hosea uh, wrote about it in Hosea chapter 6 about the resurrection. Jonah illustrated it, right, in the belly of the well, spit out after three days. That was a foreshadowing of what is to come. And then Jesus even said, hey, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. And the response of the disciples were, no, you won't. Again, when truth is given to us, sometimes we have a hard time accepting it. But it wasn't just prophesied, it was verified, which is really important. This is what separates Christianity from all other mythologies. I remember in college, them putting Jesus and Christianity into mythology. But it's usually done by professors that, first of all, never read mythology or even the Bible. They had little inklings of it, but mythology is written in a certain style. Any of you that have studied it or that enjoy reading it, it has a certain style, the way that the gods interact with people, right? Which is not very relational, which is not very loving. It's kind of a very um, dysfunctional relationship between the gods and people, right? The Bible is very, very different than that. Also, things are never verified, when you think about mythology, it's cities that we've never heard of or gods that's never been seen or it's just kind of like people make things up. Same thing with, uh, you know, modern day religion that are made up, right, in secret, 
well, nobody knows about this, but I had these special glasses or I had a special insight and it was done in the desert and never verified, never completely different. The resurrection, just so you know, is not just prophesied, it was verified. You see, God's very meticulous. He's not an idiot. He's pretty meticulous. Jesus stuck around for over a month with hundreds of witnesses. If you want to get away with something, you're not going to walk around. And here's the thing. He was, he was witnessed by people that weren't even his followers. It's not like he just went around in a little group. He opened himself up. And think about that. He was resurrected, yet there were still people that didn't follow him. Many, many of us are like, if I could just see God, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. Thousands of people saw God, and they didn't believe. That's why Jesus is going to say in John 20 after his resurrection when uh, there's a skeptic about his resurrection, he has some words about that and about how we live today. In John 20, if you want to open your Bibles, again, you can do it through your app or if you have this thing called an actual paper Bible, they still exist, you can open that. We're in John, and if you haven't been following us, we went through a, a biography of the life of Jesus over the last several months. And it's been great as we kept our eyes kind of focused on him, not on just all the chaos that's going around in our society. We're like, what if we focus on Jesus rather than the things going on in this world? And for many of us, it's been amazing to do that. And we encourage you to keep doing that in your life. But we're going to wrap up, John, today. Our next series, we're really excited about. The elders and I just had a meeting. We're like, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to go through? And we're going to do a series on focusing on Old Testament and people of faith in the Old Testament, looking at kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of people that walk with God and seeing what we can learn from them uh, as far as uh, what they did well and the reality of what they didn't do well. And so we're going to kind of learn from people and their journey with God over the next few months. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. But for now, John 20, the tomb is empty. Jesus is appearing to different people. And I love the honesty of John here. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the, where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. Isn't that incredible? This is one of the disciples. This dude saw Jesus do amazing miracles. But sometimes it comes to a point in our walk with God where we just don't believe God can do that miracle. I believe God up until this point, but then not until that point. It's got to blow our mind. Like, he hung around Jesus. He knew what Jesus was all about. He heard all the sermons. And he's like, nah, I don't believe it. And then it says, well, a week later, a week goes by, and his disciples are in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the door, and though the doors were locked, actually, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, check this out. How dare you, you stupid idiot, for not believing. Oh, my gosh. My Bible says that. I think I. You see, in mythology, if any of you read it, right, ancient Greek mythology, what happens when you begin to doubt a god? <laughs> you, you, you die, right? Or they do bad things to you. You don't mock God. This is the humility and the love and the difference of Jesus. Because in mythology, gods aren't supposed to be questioned. They'll decimate you. You might have questions about God. You might have questions about life. And he'll sit with you eye to eye and say, ask those questions. But here's the thing. Make sure you're ready for answers. There's a difference between a skeptic and a cynic. 
A skeptic wants to know truth, but will question it. A cynic doesn't want to know truth. They don't want to believe truth. They're rebellious. And we live in a very cynical society, not a skeptical one. And that's why the cynic always remains the fool. Where the skeptic learns and is humble and is willing to change their mind as they engage with truth. Jesus saw this in Thomas. And he said to Thomas, go ahead, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him this. And this is an encouragement for us today. Because you have seen me, you have believed. And look what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The reason is because our eyes can be deceptive. I don't know if you noticed that. Some of you are like, why doesn't God just appear? Because your eyes can be deceptive, right? We're deceptive by how we see people, right? If they appear to look good or to look put together, we think they're put together, right? If they appear to drive a nice car and have nice clothes, we think they're rich, even though they could be in a total you know, crazy debt. We're, we're so deceived by appearance. You, you see this as far as how even people are elected. You know what changed modern election? You know what changed it years ago? Television, the first debate. Because it was the appearance of someone put together, not the substance if they had it together. And from then on, most people vote just on appearance. They're nice. Oh, they're funny. Oh, they look like a good person. How many of us romantically got caught up by that? Ah, they look like they're a good person. Ah, they look like, what the heck did I just start dating, <laughs> right? You see, our, dis our eyes are the worst way to have faith. Jesus put something in our souls that that's the best way, and the soul can understand truth and lies. Now, it might not accept a truth or a lie, but it can understand. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who they know the truth. I don't have to see it because my eyes can deceive me. So what do we do with this, this prophecy, this ver verification of Jesus? The writer in Hebrews talks about what do we do with this? What, is, what does the resurrection really mean rather than just a religious celebration once a year where we get super psyched, run around, get some eggs, and then do we just go back to our normal way of living? And the, he Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, he says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do I do that? How do I run the race of life that God has marked out for you? The way he wants you to do relationships, the way he wants you to be a missionary at work, the way he wants you to trust him, the relationships, the different people he wants you to talk to, the different friendships. He has a, a race marked out for you. How do I stay focused on that? He says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How? How did he endure the cross? He's, by scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that your heart will not grow weary and lose heart. The resurrection is the hope that no matter what you go through, there's victory in God. 
no matter how difficult things are, no matter how much you're beaten down, no matter the difficult road that God puts before you, the hope is that as the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus, he will resurrect your relationships, he'll resurrect your emotions, he'll resurrect your body, he'll resurrect your ministry, he'll resurrect your marriage, he'll resurrect your friendships. You just have to persevere. It hasn't happened yet, Brian. It's been this way. This part of my life felt dead for the last few weeks, last few years, last few months, whatever it is. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's our inspiration. That when things look darkest for him, that God had his back. And that God lifted him up. The hope is that God will also resurrect things in your life as you keep your eyes on Jesus. I want to encourage you with this. Your eyes on Jesus, the important of that is that you will see yourself and the world much clearer by not focusing on the things of the world, but focusing on Jesus. Fixing your eyes. So important because you can become distracted. This phrase reminded me of when I was driving and what my mom used to say. Maybe some of your parents said the same thing when you were driving. I don't know if you're like me, but I was a little chatterbox. But whenever I talk to people, I like to turn and look at them. But the problem is when you're driving, you're not supposed to do that. So what did my mom always say? When I look at her, I start talking about something, and I look at her while I'm driving. Put your eyes on the Because I didn't realize, I didn't feel like it, but I'd start talking to her, and I would start going to the right then. <laughs> right? Or if I look to the left, I would always move to the left. I was, where your eyes go is where your body goes. If your eyes are on the thing of this world, then your body and your life will go towards the things of this world. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not just his love through the death, but the hope through his resurrection. Because where he is is where all of us are meant to go, to be lifted up, to be resurrected, and to be eternal with him. Hope through Jesus is so important because when you have a hope through Jesus, no matter what you're going through, it gives you a passion for people and a perspective of your problems. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb, gives us a passion for people and a perspective of your problems. This is what I mean. If this is our future, don't I want everybody to have that kind of a future? You see, my job is no longer then about making money. It's about I have a hope. I have a future that I want others to know about. There's an excitement there. You see, if Jesus dies on the cross but stays in the tomb, we have no hope. We know that he loved us, but he died like all of us. So it's like, well, and if there is no, eternity is so important, it is so important that that's constantly in our minds because otherwise we have nothing to live for. And have you ever met someone that has nothing to live for, how they behave? Have you ever been around? Maybe you, are, you have been that person. The depression or the anxiety or the frustration, you have nothing to live for. What happens is you become animalistic. What am I live for? There's no, there's no future. We just, we're gone. That's why I'm always blown away by people. And when I get in debates in college, I told you guys of all the debates I used to get into. I love debating atheists. I loved it. Because I'd say, well, I know there's a God because you're moral. Well, no, I just want to be a nice person. Why? Nobody's going to remember you. This is all meaningless. If we have no soul, right, if we're just humanistic, if we have no soul, why can't I be mean to you? And by the way, if you believe in Darwin's theory and all that, then the strongest survive. You should be glad that I'm mocking people, making fun of people, putting them down because they deserve to be. If they can't stand up, by Darwinian theory, I'm the winner, I'm the best, and I should survive and you should die. 
well, but we should still be nice, but why? Why? They can never answer that. Now, I don't know if that was a good debate because maybe they left me and like, oh, he's right. Why should I? Maybe that wasn't a good thing. I was trying to point him to Jesus, though, like, bro, no, Jesus is calling you. You just don't realize it. There's something in you that says I shouldn't be mean. I shouldn't break the law. I should. There's something in you. And that's where the Bible says in Romans, God's law is written on our heart. You just haven't attached it to Jesus yet. And it's Jesus who wants to draw you into something greater than what this world lives for. Even the good things. I'm not talking about the drugs and the alcohol and the politics and all that kind of stuff. Even the world's drawn into, oh, it's all about, it's all about, you know, how many kids you have or the great point average or how healthy you are. All those good things are still distractions because they're not the primary thing. Because no matter how heart healthy you are, guess what? Plastic surgery can't save you. Someday it's going to hit. It all sags, right? All the health goes down. It happens to everybody. You've got to have something more. That's what Jesus provides. You see, eternity gives purpose. Without eternity and the resurrection of Jesus is what gives us hope for a future. But it also puts our problems in perspective. It puts our problems in perspective because in a billion years, have you ever asked this question? In a billion years, what I'm getting anxious about right now, will it really matter? In a billion years, do I need to get angry about what's happening right now? In a billion years, what will really matter? Well, what Jesus says is, hey, here's what matters. When you stand before me, two things that matter. One is that you know me and I know you. Not if you were religious, not if you went to church, not if you gave my, I wasn't, he's not going to ask you 10 questions on the Bible and see if you can get nine or 10 right. And if you get an A, you get into heaven. It's nothing that, it's do I know you and do you know me? That's it. Do you know what I stand for? Do you know what I'm about? And do I know you? Have you let your heart out to me? Have you shared your sins? Have you shared your struggles? Have you shared your, all those things with me? He wants to be interactive. Do I know you? But the second thing is this, is he says, hey, eternity is set on this. How well did you trust me and love others in this life? That's what matters for eternity. And he says, I'm going to reward you based off that. That gives us perspective. That's what gave the Apostle Paul, when you read these letters in the Bible, when you read, right, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Roman, all these that Paul wrote. And he went through all these struggles of being persecuted, of being poor. He went through all these struggles of being single, not having that partner, not being able to go to bed at night and have that person that you can be intimate with. But he gave his life fully to Jesus. In fact, he wrote in Corinthians saying, you know what, this perspective, you can get married, but then you're going to be divided and living for Jesus and having to take care of someone and think about finance, all that kind of stuff. I don't have that. And so though the world sees that as a struggle, he saw it as a blessing because he could give more to Jesus, more missions trips, more of his life, more of his thoughts to accomplishing what God wanted him to accomplish. I think of people, and I've shown the video of him, of Nick Vujicic. Have you guys heard of Nick Vujicic? Look him up on YouTube. And how do you spell Vujicic? I have no idea. You got to figure it out. It starts with a V. Just Google man with no arms and legs who preaches Jesus. Nick Vujicic. How do you get through not having arms and legs? How do you get through that? How do you not kill yourself? Being mocked since he was a baby, being made fun of by kids because his parents instilled that Jesus resurrects all things. You'll never amount to anything. How are you going to make money? Who's going to marry you? You're not taller than any woman, right? How are you going to have kids? All these things. And Jesus resurrects. How does he make a living? By speaking all over the world, inspiring people. 
married with kids now. How is that? It's the hope of Jesus of if he died and rose again, then whatever feels dead in my life, he will resurrect. This is what Access Church is about. It's about hope that Jesus doesn't just give a new life. He gives eternal life and can be trusted. And Easter is this. Do not focus on an empty tomb. Focus on a living God through Jesus. Focus on a living God. And if you focus on a living God, then you actually live the way he wants you to. Not being distracted, not taking your eyes off, not wandering off. Struggles will be put in perspective. And also you'll have a true passion for people as you keep your eyes on Jesus. I hope today you are encouraged. I hope today you are maybe refocused. I hope today you see what life is really about. Something greater than what the world lives for is what Jesus provides. His love is fully seen on the cross, but his hope is fully seen through the resurrection. He wants to do the same thing in your life too. We're going to take some time now. The worship team is going to come up and just to be able to reflect. It's good for us to think about maybe what God wants to speak today particular words through these songs or maybe through the what we read about today uh, we always take communion during worship it reminds us of God's love and sacrifice and reminds us of what he did but it also reminds us of who we should be that as we love it's going to be a sacrifice but it's always worth it and so if you want with family or friends you can take communion maybe you could pray together I know for my family we usually just say hey what are you leaving with today Maybe you could talk a little bit, but you could take communion. And then once worship is done, we'll wrap things up, and you're free to have a great, great day today for the rest of the day. Jesus, we come before you now, and to me, the joy of Easter is beyond the eggs, and it's beyond the colorful dresses and the hats and the, the weather, and all those things are great. Those are blessings, God. But they mean nothing without the perspective of that we are meant to live for so much more. So, Jesus, I pray that today you would instill hope into our hearts, that we'd have perspective amidst our struggles, that you are a God, that you, takes wh you take what is dead and you resurrect it and give it life. But I pray most of all, God, that we'd have a passion for people, that the joy you give us, we would realize that the greatest thing this world needs is not educational reform, not economical reform, not political reform. We need a soul reform. And that only happens when we encounter you, that we are made to be known by you, to be loved by you, that you desire to walk with us, to live in us, to speak through us. And that's when life gets exciting. God, I pray for a resurrection of all of us here, that none of our minds would be dead, and that none of our souls would be dead, and that none of our relationships would be dead, but we'd rise up in you allowing your spirit, your mission to live through us. We worship you, God, because you are worthy. You're not a mythology. You are real, tangible God, and we worship you because of the hope and love you give us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go toaccesschurch.com. 